Isn't it great to be reminded um, that the solution for the injustice and for our sin has been um, paid in Jesus? I just wanted to take a moment to give you a, a, few, a little bit of community news. Um, as, as I mentioned earlier, we have had some easing of restrictions and some of you may be wondering, well, what does that actually mean for what we do here at Soul Revival? Well, I guess the short answer is at the moment, nothing really much is going to change. Being um, allowed to have 50 people in the church does open things up for us a little bit, but there's a lot of things that we need to work out and it's really not enough for us to gather together. And coupled with that, we have restrictions in being able to sing and obviously the social distancing. And so it's really not going to feel um, like our usual services. So we're going to take some time um, during this step two of the recovery plan to think through how can we gather together um, safely. And so the council met this week and then the service teams will be meeting in the next couple of weeks to really work out what does it mean, what ministries can we get, um, can we start uh, and you know what things need to stay the same for now. And we'll also be sending out a survey this week because we'd really love to hear from you, uh, to hear how this is impacting you and your thoughts on gathering back together again. So that survey will be coming out, uh, keep an eye out for it in your email. Uh, if you're not receiving our emails, it's probably because we don't have your email address. So again, please let us know. You can make, um, you can private message us or contact one of the pastors and give us your email details so you can be involved in that as well. Um, and so, yeah, so there's some of the things. I think that they were the main things that I needed to tell you today. And just remember, a reminder too, if you're just joining us, that we'll be doing communion later on uh, at the end of the service. So you might want to gather uh, together some of those elements. Um, and we're going to now... Sp- spend some time in prayer and then um, we're going to read the Bible together. Um, Let's join together in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you are merciful and good. When we look back into history, we can't but wonder at your faithfulness. From generation to generation, you have not given up on us, on people who turned away from you. You know us through and through, but you still sent Jesus. We pray that he, the King of kings, um, we thank you that he humbled himself and willingly laid down his life for us. You have given us a home with you, a home that cannot fade away and cannot be destroyed. Please help us to never forget how much it cost to give us this hope and future. And use us to share the gospel and call more people back to you. We pray for your world, Father. Lord, you are sovereign. You are the beginning and the end. You know every part of your creation and made all people in your image. We are all equally precious to you. So we know, Father, it breaks your heart to see brokenness, hate, violence and injustice in your world. And you indeed have experienced these things firsthand. Lord, we ask that you bring peace to places in America and the world where there is civil unrest and protests. Bring restoration to the marginalised, protect the vulnerable and bring hope to the hopeless. Guide all those in positions of power whether it be political or physical or social, and give them wisdom to use their power wisely. Strengthen and use your people to share the love and peace of Jesus. Give us all the ability to see other people how you see them. Give us grace to forgive and heal the hatred in this world around us 
by healing our own hearts first. It is only through you that we can have peace, true freedom and reconciliation. We continue to pray for those affected by COVID-19. We thank you for the lessening of restrictions, but please help us to continue to love and be mindful of others. Lord, we pray for those out of work or out of routine. Please supply those with reduced hours or loss of work with what they need and with a joy that passes all understanding. Lord, thank you that you have given us so much. Please help us at Soul Revival to give to our community and boldly share the gospel wherever we are. We ask that the tender for the South Village venue would go smoothly and that if this is where you want us to be, may many not yet Christians come to know you through that place. Please be with our pastors, wardens and council representatives through this process and give them great discernment and strength. Father, we pray for anyone that is in distress, that is sick or in mourning. Please comfort those who are suffering and strengthen those who care for friends and family in need. Let them know your mercy, compassion and love for them. Lord, our hope of home in heaven is secure because of you. Until we come home, you walk beside us and never leave our side. We love you and we do cry, come Lord Jesus, come. Amen. The Bible reading is from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. So grab a Bible or look on the screen. It's Daniel 9, verses 1 to 19. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings and princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against you. 
You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us the great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For, the, for your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Hello and welcome. Uh, let me add my welcome to uh, Karen. It's great to be uh, with you. Um, my name is uh, Michael. I'm one of the volunteer pastors here at Soul Revival Church. Um, it's exciting to be together. Um, if you've caught this stream because a friend of yours has shared it, thank you for uh, tuning in and uh, watching with us. Um, you've caught us in the middle of a series um, in the book of Daniel. Uh, so if you've got uh, your Bible open, I recommend you open it up to Daniel 9. Um, but before we look at it, um, I think it's good that we pray to God and ask for his uh, knowledge and insight as we try and understand um, what God is teaching us uh, from Daniel today. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in these strange times that you are near to us and that you, you reveal yourself to us through your word. We ask that you would give each of us the insight to be able to understand the passage that is in front of us now and open our hearts that we may come to know more about you and more about ourselves and who you want us to be. Amen. Isn't it exciting that even though we can't meet together in person, that we are still able to do church together online? The team's done such an amazing job putting our gatherings online each week and allowing us to church from home. I mean, I'm assuming you're at home. You're most likely uh, watching this on your TV, probably sitting on the lounge with a cup of coffee under a blanket. Maybe you're with your family, maybe by yourself. Maybe you're getting distracted by a dog or a cat. Or if you're the Werners, probably Jude playing his next musical instrument. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, my home over the last couple of months. Uh, like many people, my home has now also become my workplace. Like many people, I've been spending more time at home than ever before. And I've been hearing the word home uh, a lot too. In fact, apart from the word unprecedented, I think I've heard the word home more than any other word. 
government ads repeating the message, stay home. Medical experts telling us, stay safe by staying home. We can beat COVID-19 together by staying home. And it's interesting that they use the word home. We're not told to stay indoors or to stay in our place of residence, but to stay home. And I think that's because home is such a powerful word. When you think of what a home should be, what do you think of? Maybe you think of safety and security. Maybe you think of your family. Maybe a sense of comfort or familiarity, a place that grounds you, a place where you go to escape the world, a space that feels right, where everything has its place, an anchor point in an ever-changing world. The idea of home is so powerful that you can even feel homesick when you're away for too long, or a sense of fear if you think you're lost and don't know where you are. Uh, when COVID started, uh, many of us panicked thinking of uh, both Jake and Gemma, who are members of our Saturday night uh, gathering, who were overseas. We were worried that maybe they'd be stuck and not able to get home. It's the same reason why we feel pity for characters like Harry Potter, whose home is contained entirely in the cupboard under the stairs, or why we cheer for an eight-year-old Kevin McAllister as he brutally hurts uh, adult thieves who are trying to break into his home in the movie Home Alone 1 and 2. And there's something in our nature that desires a home. And this is where we get to when we get to chapter 9 in our series. Daniel is thinking of home. And to know why Daniel is feeling and thinking about home, it's important to remember the context of this book. It's easy to get excited about the stories of fiery furnaces and lion's dens, the dreams and visions of terrifying beasts with horns growing out of horns and eyes growing out of horns and statu giant statues of precious metals being destroyed by giant rocks, of kings becoming like animals and floating hands writing messages on walls. We need to remember that the context of Daniel is set amongst God's chosen people, Israel, in exile in Babylon. A people taken from their country into a foreign land as punishment for their sin and rejection of God as, uh, as their king. And amongst all of that, we have a man, Daniel, trying his best to live faithfully to his God, while around him nations conquer nations and kings overthrow kings. And so by the time we get to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel has now lived most of his life in captivity in Babylon. He has been there so long, in fact, that the Babylonians are no longer in charge and the Persians have taken over. We can see this at the start of chapter 9. There is a new king on the scene, the reign of King Darius from the Persian Empire. In fact, if you didn't know, he was a Mede. And we see Daniel still trying to live uh, life faithful to God. In chapter one of Daniel, we saw that Daniel uh, avoided the spoils of the palace food to eat only vegetables. In chapter nine, we see him faithfully studying God's word. 
So why don't we look at uh, Daniel chapter 9, starting at verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. You see, Jeremiah was a prophet, but he wasn't taken into exile. He remained uh, with the remnant of God's people in Israel. And God used the prophet Jeremiah to send a message to the people of Israel in exile. And we have those words uh, for us recorded in the book of Jeremiah uh, in, chap in chapter 29. Jeremiah 29 verse 10 says this. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And so I can imagine Daniel reading this scripture, seeking out God and how to live out God's laws and coming across this passage from Jeremiah and thinking, well, I came to Babylon as a teenager and I'm now an old man. And maybe he's doing some maths in his head. Is God saying we're going home in 70 years? Maybe I'll make it back. Maybe I'll get to see my home in Jerusalem again. Oh, how good it would be to see that glorious city. Maybe I'll get home. I imagine him uh, perhaps a little bit like a high schooler during last period, seeing the clock tick down towards that final bell and very slowly packing his bag so that when that bell goes, he's ready to get home. But that's not how Daniel responds. Daniel responds in prayer. If you look with me from uh, verse 3 of Daniel 9. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land. This is a prayer from the depths of a man's heart. This is not a man excited about a road trip, but a man deeply convicted of his unworthiness. But why this reaction? Why does Daniel approach what should be exciting news with such mourning in prayer? And I think to understand Daniel's response, we might need to pause and take a step back and have a look at how we understand the book of Daniel. There is more to the story of Daniel than just a man involved in the politics of an ancient empire, like some sort of Babylonian version of House of Cards. There is a story behind this story. And in Daniel 9, we can see a glimpse of that. The first way to understand Daniel is in the little, literal historical sense. The story of a man, a real man, Daniel, takes place uh, in a real place. Um, Israel going into a foreign land uh, of Babylon. 
These are real historical events experienced by real historical people in real historical places. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, Cyrus, the Babylonians and the Persians, the lion's den, the fiery furnace. These are all real events that took place in history. But the second way to understand Daniel is in the spiritual and symbolic sense. I don't mean the Dan Brown symbolic uh, way of thinking about things. I mean that there is a real truth that is hidden behind the physical things. In some parts of Daniel, the symbolic elements are more clearly defined. There are visions and dreams of animals and beasts and statues. When we read chapter 8, we know that a goat and a ram didn't really battle it out over the province of Elam. We know from, scriptures, from Scripture that these animals are symbols of both a historical and a spiritual truth. For in chapter 8, we're told that this battle represented the real historical event of Persia conquering Babylon. But behind that is the spiritual truth that God was in control of all of those events. So what is the uh, symbolic element we find in Daniel 9? There is no dream, no terrifying creatures or statues crumbling down. There is Daniel, a man, reading Jeremiah, which at face value seems a pretty straightforward message. And paraphrasing here, the exile will last 70 years and Israel will get to come home from Babylon. In chapter 9, the spiritual nature of the story is revealed by Daniel in his prayer as he comes to fully understand his exile. Daniel at this point has now spent most of his life in Babylon. He understands full well the physical and historical nature of an exile. But in his prayer, the spiritual reality of the exile comes out of him in full force. The spiritual reality that Daniel sees is this, a tale of two cities. The first city, the city of Jerusalem, is where God is. And those who live there are in a right relationship with God. The second city is Babylon. Babylon is in opposition to God. And those who live there have rejected God as king. And Daniel is in Babylon because he and all of Israel are no longer in a right relationship with God. Daniel is, in a, is a tale of two cities, two cities that symbolize God and our relationship to him. That's because Daniel, to Daniel and the other Israelites, Israel is their home. It's the promised land of God's people. The land promised to Abraham, flowing with milk and honey. And at its very center is the capital Jerusalem, the city on a hill. And in the center of the city is a temple. And at the center of the temple is the Holy of Holies. And that is where God himself dwells. Spiritually, Jerusalem is the symbol of being in a right relationship with God. On the other hand, Babylon represents opposition to God. From its very creation, Babylon has been a place of rebellion against God. We see the roots of the Babylonian Empire in Genesis 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel. Are you familiar with that story? Where the people rejected God's command 
to go out and multiply across the whole earth. And instead, they stopped to build a mighty tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. It's the home of the god Marduk, who is a god of chaos. It is a place of evil and the symbol of everything opposed to God. Babylon, since its very beginning, has represented opposition to God. In his prayer, Daniel recognises this spiritual reality, that he is in exile in Babylon because he and all of Israel have rejected God as their king and were disobedient to the laws that God gave his people. Daniel understands that this is more than just a physical separation, but their rejection of God has ripped apart their relationship with God at every level. He recognises that he and all of Israel are not righteous. And because they are no longer righteous, they cannot be in the place where God is. That their uh, physical separation is a symbol of their spiritual separation from God. And if this spiritual reality is true, how can they return to Jerusalem unless the problem of their sin and rebellion is dealt with? That is why Daniel prays. But what does he pray? Uh, He prays the prayer that Anthony uh, so helpfully read out for us. And I just want to call out three uh, main points that we see in Daniel's prayer. Firstly, he begins the prayer with confession, where Daniel recognises his unrighteousness, his wrongdoing and his sin. And we can see that starting at verse 4. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Daniel understands full well his participation in in the disobedience of Israel. Secondly, he declares that God was righteous in his judgment of Israel. We see this in verse 7. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered in shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Daniel recognises that God was right to cast Israel out. It was not right for Israel to stay with God if they were in rebellion and rejection of him. But thirdly, he begs, God's, he begs for God's righteous mercy to allow them to come home. From verse 15. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt, with a mighty hand you have made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned and done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, Turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, 
your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around you. Daniel has recognised his rejection of God. He's recognised that God was righteous to judge him. And he pleads for God's mercy, knowing that only God can forgive him. Can you see that understanding of Daniel in the exile? That Israel and Daniel in their sin turned away from God? That it was right for God to send them to Babylon? That they should be in Babylon because that is the place where those who reject God live. But also, did you recognise that Daniel doesn't want to live apart from God? He wants to live with God. But it's only through God's mercy that this can be achieved. Uh, and as Daniel is praying, we see God act. Uh, God has been acting throughout the whole of the story of Daniel. But he acts here by sending a messenger, the angel Gabriel, from verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, remember, still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. God comes or sends Gabriel to give Daniel an answer to his prayer, to help him to understand and see what God is doing. The bad news for Daniel is that he hasn't fully understood the words of Jeremiah. The good news is that here God is promising to end the problem of sin. What do I mean? When the angel comes to Daniel, he says, Daniel, it's not 70 years of exile, but seven times 70 years, which if you're any good at maths would be 490 years. That seems like a really long time to be in exile. Is God just being cruel and teasing Daniel with this from Jeremiah? Or did Jeremiah get it really wrong? Or do we need to remember to look at the story behind the story? God is promising to end the exile. But when will it end? When will God bring his people from captivity and bring them home? What is the answer? Well, there's been a lot of debate um, about the literal meaning of Gabriel's message. Um, if you go on and continue to read the rest of uh, Daniel 9, there's lots of talk of sevens and 77s and 62 sevens and half sevens. 
Where do we get to historically 490 years from Daniel? That's where the debate rages. When do you start counting from? What's the meaning of the 62 sevens and the seven sevens and the half seven? I couldn't really find a consensus answer. Some scholars have tried uh, to fit this in with the coming of Jesus and from certain ways you can do that. But it's not clear. But what if we read it symbolically? What if we look at the spiritual reality behind Gabriel's message? Symbolically, the numbers 70 and 7 represent completeness and perfection. What God is promising to Daniel is that there will come a time where sin will be dealt with once for all. There will be a time when people will be able to come out of exile and be with God again. The exile was not God putting Israel in the naughty corner. You, Israel, go and sit uh, in Babylon for 70 years and you think about what you've done and when you've calmed down, you can come back and play again. No, the exile is Israel being kicked out of the house and the door locked. And there's no period of time that will make it right. But through Gabriel, God is promising that there will be a time when the door is opened. It's a promise that God will act. Just as we've seen God act through kings and nations and civilizations, God will act amongst his people to bring them home. And as Christians who live on the other side of the cross, we know how God will act. When Jesus was on the cross and with his last breath, he said, it is finished. It's finished. It was with Jesus on the cross where God's righteous justice and mercy met our sin and rebellion. It was on the cross where wickedness would be atoned for and transgressions would cease, where God would answer Daniel's prayer, where the door would open for people to leave Babylon, to come home to Jerusalem. So my question to you is, where do you want to call home? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all rejected God's will for our lives. We've all taken up residency spiritually in Babylon. Do you want to call Babylon home? Do you want to continue to live your life in rejection and disobedience to God? Or do you want to pack your bag and get ready to move? Move to a new home. Because a move uh, to a place in Jerusalem, to a spiritual Jerusalem, is on offer. This is what Jesus says in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, 
that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus is offering you a home that Daniel could never have even dreamed of. Daniel only dreamt of returning home to the city he was once taken from. The home that Jesus offers us is so much greater. I don't know what your home is like now. Maybe your home is amazing. Maybe it's warm and friendly and full of joy. Or maybe you found spending this extra time at home really stressful. Maybe your home isn't what it should be. Or maybe you're feeling like you don't even have a home anymore. But the home that Jesus offers us is not an earthly home. It does not have any of the failings that humans bring with them. For the home that Jesus is offering us is the one that John saw and wrote down for us in Revelation 21. Let me read from verse 1 of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Jesus is with God in heaven, preparing a place for you if you want it. And when he comes back, he's bringing a moving van. So how are you going to live in this spiritual reality? Are you going to live like your home is in Babylon? Will you take the things the world offers, the fleeting joys of life? Or are you going to live this life like any day could be moving day? With your bags packed, taking only the essentials, because your new home is going to be fully furnished with everything you need. After we sing, Stu is going to lead us uh, in communion. Communion is a time when we pause and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. And just like Daniel, we have an opportunity to confess our sins as we remember the righteousness of God, his justice and his mercy. So why not take this time to consider your relationship with God? You might be watching this stream uh, and have never considered a relationship with God before. Maybe you're searching for something, maybe a place to call home. If you are considering this, maybe make Daniel's prayer your own. Seek out God, who is righteous and merciful. Call out to him because he wants to bring you home. If you're watching this and you are a Christian, 
and you're longing for that new home in heaven with Jesus, this might be a good time to think about if there's anything in your life that is making you want to stay in Babylon. Is there something you need to let go? Is there something in your life that you won't be able to take with you? Make sure your bags are packed because you won't want to miss out when the moving van comes. Thank you. Well, I hope you've had a great service so far and wherever you are in your houses all over the Shire and beyond, um, we've really been enjoying our services together. But today we're going to do something uh, that's terrific that we've been missing, which is to take the Lord's Supper together. And what I'd encourage you to do now is before we take the Lord's Supper, I'd love you to go and get yourself a cup with some apple juice in it. And you might like to get yourself a piece of bread as well. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read to us from Luke chapter 22, verses 14. So get your stuff ready and let's have a read of this. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you that I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Take this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. This is the covenant of my blood, the new covenant, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves, which of them might be the one who would do this. So let's now take the cup and remember that the Lord gave his life for us and shed his blood for us. So take and drink this in remembrance of him. In the same way, take our bread and we remember by eating this bread that the Lord Jesus broke his body for us. So take this and eat this in remembrance of him. Feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. I'm going to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings to us. In particular, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessing of technology that allows us to continue to meet together during this time of isolation. We thank you for our friends and our family. We thank you for work and health and rest. We pray for those, Heavenly Father, who are under duress at this time and we pray heavenly father you'd strengthen us in your in our innermost being by your holy spirit we pray heavenly father most of all for the blessing that you've given us in your son jesus we thank you for his death and resurrection and we thank you for the promise of new life that we have in him please sustain us and guide us and keep us strong at this time in jesus name we pray amen well, thanks for being with us today. I hope it's been a blessing to you and I hope that this actually helps you to start another new day and indeed a new week serving the Lord Jesus one way. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, 
you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings up the top of the page. And you can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is OK by Ixit.